Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. Good morning, Mike. Thank you so much for being on Coaching Call today. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. You have really changed the way you do business and the way you help people and the way you coach. What made you make that change? Well, that's a really interesting question. And I think a lot of it was a bit of my own evolution as I went through the process of being coached myself. You know, I started off playing football as a child and had a very motivating coach who kind of helped me find a little bit of confidence and that inspired me to want to help people. And eventually I got into martial arts and, you know, that, that has an intrinsic mentoring relationship between teacher and student. So that changed my life as well. And then when I opened my own martial arts school, uh, it started off almost as a business evolution going from what I thought I wanted to do, which was teach martial arts. I wanted to be a martial arts teacher since I was 12. And then, you know, of course, once you start doing it as a business, you realize just being passionate about something isn't really enough. Mm. So you start learning, hopefully, how to do business ethically and improve your mindset. And those things change you, I think, at a very profound level to the point where you start looking less at the tool and more at the impacts that you're having. So that started leading to the next evolutions where now I'm, I'm teaching kids and martial arts is really just the vehicle that I'm using. So nowadays, I hardly even teach martial arts anymore. I, I just teach kids. You know, the, the focus has shifted a little bit from the art to the individual. One of the things that you just said was concerning business and, and teaching in an ethical way or running a business in an ethical way. As business, doing the right thing for your customers and as a coach, making sure that your clients or your members or anyone that you're coaching is attaining the correct information. What have you done differently between teaching martial arts and what you're doing now? Sure. So, you know, and I think you nailed it there is finding the right information. Uh, originally, it was, you know, I'm a a traditional guy when it comes to martial arts, you know, teaching Kung Fu system goes back thousands of years. Here's my teacher and his teacher and his teacher. And it was really about me having information and charging money for it. Um, you know, and in education, we call this the banking method where I look at the students just as empty vessels and I'm the one that has all of the resources and it's up to me to fill you with what I think you should have. But then you start getting information about why people are actually coming to you. They're not necessarily coming to you because of who your great, great, great grand teacher was. 
And in fact, most people probably don't even care until they learn a little bit more about it. That is so true. <laughs> so it becomes, right, right? And that, that hurt me at first because, you know, I was very proud of who my teacher was. But it blew my mind that other people weren't as invested in that as I was until I realized, okay, well, let me find out why they are here. And you find out, you know, the, the standard ones about, oh, I was bullied or I want more confidence or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And then as you start asking those questions, they lead to deeper questions, which any good question that leads to a good answer should lead to another good question. So you start really getting deep into why is somebody coming to you? What is it that you have that they can uh, use in their own lives? And you have to almost look at it from their perspective, not from mine. You know, it's funny what you're saying, because many, many, many years ago, there was a martial arts coach. Someone, you know, I was at a, a conference that he was doing. And he was trying to get people to think about a member as a new car, a vacation, a better home. And it did not sync well with me. And I'm like, hmm, this guy's only seeing people as an avenue to just get, you know, make, make more for yourself and not think about the other person. And, and that guy, he's no longer in the business, but... He was successful because a lot of people said, hmm, I'm going to start doing that. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people fell into that. And like you say, it's not about being a bank. It's about actually maybe it is being about a bank, more of an emotional bank than a financial bank, because we are changing lives every day. And I know you do that on a regular basis. Tell us about the program you're running now. It's a really, really cool program. I'd love to hear about it. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned that, that phase where everybody was looking at students as, as money. And I think it was an ugly teenage year for our industry. And one I think we probably did have to go through as we migrated from art to business. So nowadays, the program that I run uh, in my school is called Skills. And Skills went through a similar evolution. It was created by Melody Johnson or Melody Schumann at the time. And she started it as a way to better teach martial arts to kids. So she went to Korea once and she had to teach a class. The kids didn't speak English. Uh, and she used her background from Disney and from a couple other experiences that she had to create a fun, engaging class that kids could really fit into and enjoy and thrive in. And then over the course of about a decade, that class that taught the way kids want to learn turned into, well, instead of teaching martial arts a way that kids could better learn martial arts, is it possible to teach all these developmental skills using martial arts since now the kids are, are really enjoying the classes? So what skills has evolved into is now a child development curriculum mm. where we're focusing on first and foremost the child's physical, intellectual, emotional, and social development. And it's interesting because when you have conversations with martial artists, they say, yeah, but we all do that. And yes, we all do. That's one of the reasons that martial arts is the vehicle that, that we use because it is so valuable in what it provides to kids. I think the difference is that we start with that development and then just figure out which aspects of martial arts will help with these natural areas of growth that the kids are going through. You know, it's it's funny because when I did meet Melanie, 
I mean, Melody, many years ago, she was talking about how you have to be very animated, especially with kids, not only facially, but your body expressions, on how we can get kids to be more interactive with us. And also one of the things that I've always done is we sometimes think that we're high because we've trained for so long and uh, you know they should just do what we say <laughs> and uh, that is not true at all what yeah. i've always done is i've gotten down to their level and i've been called the pipe piper because the kids love to have fun with me but then there's also a structure where they know that okay it's time to work it's it's time to be serious so when i talk to a kid i'm i'm 6 foot 1 that they're two foot tall. <laughs> they're not going to, they have to look up at me. And that's intimidating for a child. Yeah. So I always get down and I look at them eye level to their eye level, not mine. I always get down, look at them. And so all of a sudden there's a connection, you know, and your expressions that you make and, you know, high fives. Obviously we can't do that nowadays. So I do fist bump and blow it up before we get there. And so we still have to connect with the kids, but it's how we do it. Right. And and she's amazing at that. And obviously, that's part of part of what you guys are also teaching. Is that correct? Absolutely. And and you said probably the most important word in our uh, philosophy of teaching, and that's connection. Everything that we do starts with a connection to the kid. If you've ever watched a child, you know, and and honestly, as teachers and researchers in our arts, we should be watching the people that we're trying to teach. You ever watch them? If they walk in and something doesn't catch their interest or they can't connect with it somehow, whether physically by touching it, holding it, feeling it intellectually because it catches their eye and they want to watch it. If they can't connect with it, it's not going to really hold them at all. As much as we can pick them up and keep putting them in front of the textbook, if they don't enjoy it, they're not going to learn. Uh, and I think that's very different from the old way of, you know, hey, I'm the teacher, stand still, be quiet, listen to what I say. Oh, you blink, push ups. It, that really pushes kids away. And it's not to say we can't have discipline or we can't hold that bar really high for their levels of performance, but we have to make sure that we are connected with them and they want to actually learn from us. Otherwise, we're fighting an uphill battle, and ultimately, mm -hmm. that leads to loss of students. Um, and then you get into this you know, the egotistical, and I don't mean that in a bad way. We all do it. Um, you know, well, they left because. Well, they left because we weren't the right fit for them. That's why they left. You, you know, it's, it's, it's funny when, when you talk about um, you, you blink through a push-up. A lot of schools still, even to today, they're very military-based. Like, they have to... They can't move. They can't talk. They can't do anything. They come in. They have to bow 300 times. And that's not even bound to a person. They have to bow to the, the pictures on the wall. They have to come in and they have to bow before they enter the mat. Yeah. Then they have to turn around to the instructor, the assistant instructor. By the time they've bowed, they probably burnt about 800 calories. So one of the things that <laughs> we have to... Think of kids, it's intimidating enough walking into a new environment. One of the things that I do is I always try to get the parents to come in, especially for the first time, and I, I let them know, look, it's a new environment. I, I want your child, and there's a lot of things for them to look at. I want them to come in 
look around, feel the atmosphere, understand where they're going to be so that they're not just thrown into a spot and all of a sudden they have to stand still. Because that's, for most kids and even adults, you walk into a new environment, you kind of want to look around. You want to see where you are. You want to kind of fit in. And a lot of places are still not allowing that to happen. And to me, it's comical because they're not really helping someone. And for it to be like a military type of setting, it's taking away. Maybe they did that back in the day. Yes, it was very militant. But for me, someone doesn't grow in that environment as a person. So I don't know how you guys feel about that. And you can definitely tell me or share with us what your thoughts are on that. So it's, I think you're right on. And we have to look at the fact that many martial arts were designed for military use, whether it was, you know, the, the government military or militias or village defense, or they were designed for really high level sports. Like Taekwondo is a sport, but it is very high level competitive. I don't think anybody would say, oh, you know, it doesn't mean anything if you kick me in the head because they'll knock you out. It's just what they do. And what we then expect is that our kids will walk in and be able to do that. So we can look at this two ways. First, when we look at it and say, well, military and martial arts, and I've been in the military, and half of the malarkey that we do in the martial arts is far more about you know, neo-traditionalism and what we expected or thought that maybe our masters and grandmasters did once upon a time back in China. Absolutely. Great movie, by the way, Once Upon a Time in China. I've seen them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so when we look at it that way, you know, I think there is a little bit of disconnect between this idea of military and martial arts. You know, even military, you get days off, you know, you get downtime. You're not always standing in formation. In fact, three quarters of the time you're sitting around mm-hmm. polishing something, just waiting for somebody to tell you what to do. You know, the other aspect of it is because it was created for military, you can't try to say, well, these are the traditions and the kids need to do that because the traditions were that you taught adults. And I think that was one of the profound realizations that I had that teaching kids is not traditional. You know, there are a few examples of it where maybe it was a village art. Or you hear the old stories of the the young baby dropped off at Shaolin that was raised in the temple. But these are the exceptions. Um, It was never designed to have a four-year-old come out and join the military. If you look at an an analog to that, you're seeing things like Boko Haram in, in Africa, where they are creating child soldiers and sending them out to fight in the front lines. And there's all this PTSD and, and child death. I don't think that's what we want to create. Absolutely not. So having that realization was one of the things that gave me the freedom to say, well, if I'm not trying to create a military full of kids, what am I trying to create? And then you start realizing that, you know, we, we have this cognitive dissonance that we have to be safe. We have to be safe. Everybody's trying to kill us. But statistically, we live in the safest area of the world in the safest time period in the entire history of mankind. So statistically, any one of my kids is far less likely to get jumped or beat up Mm -hmm. than they are to be psychologically bullied, intellectually bullied, digitally bullied, or be challenged by their economic position in life or their mindset when it comes to success. So really the self-defense that I'm teaching now is far less about 
somebody's coming to attack you or to destroy your your culture and far more about how can I make sure that you are so successful in life mm-hmm. that you never have to worry about those things. Right. So one of the things that you guys are doing, you're definitely empowering kids so they have a better outcome as they grow up. So you're also studying child psychology or child development. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. I'm just a uh, 46 years old, going back to college again. (laughs) You know, for me, learning is an everyday experience. And a lot of, I tell all the kids, I say, hey guys, you know, how was school today? And they're like, oh, it was good. I said, you know, I study every day. They look at me, they're wide open. And I'm like, yeah, if I'm not learning every day, then I'm not doing my job. I have to learn. And what can you teach me today? So I'll make them my teachers. And they look at me like I'm a strange person <laughs> because you said you're 46 years old and you're going back to college, but every day should be a learning experience and we should look to learn new things. And the more we learn as a coach, as an instructor, as a mentor, we can help other people. So the better we become, the more we can help. Oh, absolutely. And I think we are perfectly positioned when we teach kids to, to really immerse ourselves in learning. Uh, I think it was Albert Einstein that says, if we keep nothing else, we want the wonder of childhood. And you know that was one of the things that he always tried to look at the world with a sense of wonder. And who does that better than kids? You know, everything is new to them, and they have to think about it without the frame of reference that we have from our life experiences. And they have to this imagination that just overtakes their lives every day. And, you know, they still believe in dragons and fairies. And, you know, it's just this sense of living in constant uh, wonder and invention. And, you know, a lot of times adults will quench that a little bit and say, oh, well, in the real world, well, that's our real world. You know, to them, their real world is completely different. And really, Mm. they don't have to worry about our world because we'll be gone. So it's a chance for us to every single day look at the inventions of the next millennia, the next century, Mm -hmm. without having to be there. (laughs) So I'm always learning from my kids. To have that foresight. Well, you know, one of the things that, that keeps me wanting to learn every day is that I still feel like a little kid. I love to like run around and, you know, if I, if I do a birthday party, like for anybody, whether it's an adult birthday party and I'm there, I try to enjoy every minute. And when I am teaching a class, I'm enjoying it. And if I'm running around with the kids, um, whether it's in a class, a birthday party, an event, a seminar, anything, I think I'm the one having the most fun. And so I'll ask them, I said, who had the most fun? They raised their hand, me. I'm like, oh, I don't think so. I said, I had way more fun than you guys did. <laughs> they're like, they look at me and I'm like, yeah. I said, let's do it again. And they're like, <laughs> you know, then they go, yeah, let's go crazy. And one of the things that I, I definitely make sure the kids understand is that it's okay to get crazy. It's okay to let go. But then so there's also are, a time where, hey, you know, we have to do the hard work so that we can let go. Yeah, and that, that's so important, that ability to switch from you know crazy to disciplined in a moment's notice. That, that is actually one of the things that we actually actively teach in our classes. Uh, when we talk about discipline, mm-hmm. for us, it's not stand there, be quiet, stand straight, don't blink. 
to us, discipline is, all right, guys, we're about to play this wild game and it's going to go crazy. And if you looked from the outside, you would wonder why people pay for this or bring their kids there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then they also learn that, okay, now that game is done. It's time to focus on testing material or the lesson of the day. And that ability to shift from one thing to another, most people actually struggle with that, even as adults, to shift from, all right, now I'm sitting on the toilet scrolling through YouTube and it's time to actually go do whatever it is that I have to do during the day. We struggle with that. And you find that you spend longer sitting on the toilet, surfing on YouTube, and you know you start falling behind in life. And then there's those few of us that are, you know, we have good executive function where we can make those decisions, take the action fairly immediately and make things happen. I think that ability to go back and forth is something we need to actively teach in our classes. You, you know, I'm sorry, but you just gave me a crazy visual. So in the old days, people used to read newspapers on the toilet or a magazine, and now they're watching videos. Wow. <laughs> what a visual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Humanity doesn't really change as much as we right. think it does, right? I'm sure back in the day, we were all sitting with our stone tablets on a, on a log somewhere. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, when you told me this, I, I'm sure you get a lot of very funny responses. Tell us, you did Kung Fu, and then at one point, and it happens to me too because I also teach Kung Fu, your website, tell us the name of your website, please, and then tell us the story behind it. I love it. So the website is notkarate.com, and you know it, it's become just a cute little marketing tool because it gets people to pause and be like, well, what do you mean? I'm looking for martial arts. Why are you telling me it's not karate? Why would I go? Now they have to check it out. Um, so it started because I'd been training for about a decade, I, I guess. And, you know, it was back in the early 90s when websites were just becoming a thing that you can actually have your own website. And uh, my dad was a, a very forward thinking guy. And by the mid 90s, he was already learning how to program websites. Um, so when I took over the school from my teacher in 1999, when he retired, I wanted to do things a newer way. So I said, we need a website. My dad says, I got this. And he goes and he builds me this website. And he says, all right, you just have to come up with a name for it. So for now, the past 10, 15 years, my dad had been saying like, so Mike, how how is karate class tonight? And I have to be like, dad, come on, man. It's been like a decade. It's not karate. It's Kung Fu. (laughs) So he found notkarate.com to show me that he had finally figured it out. And that it started just as a joke, like, ha ha, look what I got for you. And I, I thought it was going to offend a lot of people, uh, you know, because back in the late 90s, we were still as an industry back in that mindset of, you know, well, you're offending me and, you know, honor among thieves kind of thing. I was really afraid that it was going to offend all my friends who did karate uh, because, you know, back then it was, well, karate is better than Kung Fu and Taekwondo is better than, than karate. And we used to have these these arguments. So I went to all my, my karate friends and I said, look, guys, my dad is doing this thing. And how do I tell him that, that I can't do this? And they're like, we think it's hilarious. So I said, all right, I'll let it stick for a little while. And now, like 15 years later, it, it's still there. 20, I don't even know what year it is. 20 years later, we've had the website. 20 years. <laughs> and now it works even better because we're hardly even Kung Fu anymore. So, you know, we market, of course, 
to the martial arts community or people interested in martial arts because that's our vehicle. But then they come in and say, well, how come it's not karate? And instead of saying because it's kung fu, we get to say, well, because it's a child development program that just uses martial arts. That's a great story, by the way. Still works. So you are not teaching karate. You're not teaching kung fu. You're doing the skills program. You're also one of the lead consultants for skills worldwide. How did that come about? Um, I think that was just, you know, Melody calls it a synchronicity. When when things just start happening the right way at the right time, um, it, it means that you're really on the right track with your, your action steps and your goals and the people that you're surrounded with. So we had been following Melody for a long time. We were using her older uh, Concepts for Kids program, which came out of the Little Ninjas program, but it was slightly before skills. And uh, you know, we were using that for our, our kids. And then in 2008, when the economy collapsed, we also lost our lease on the school at the same time. So we ended up closing the school. Mm. Uh, a couple of my students got together and said, you know, my, my older traditional students said, well, we're not letting you close. This is our family. So they found a spot for me and said, by the way, you start on Monday and here's your key. Wow. You know, it was very old fashioned, traditional, you know, breaks my heart to think about kind of thing. So when, when I said, all right, let's do this again. And, and if I had to reimagine my school, what would it look like? And back then we wanted to be hardcore adult, you know, fight club. We wanted to prove to the world that, you know, you could call a soft style all you want, but we're coming in and we're going to whoop your butt in the tournaments and in the ring. But then when I reimagined the school, I said, well, I really need to make some money. <laughs> um, so we started selling to kids and we realized really quickly that, wow, the kids are coming in without the baggage that adults come in with. They're coming in, you know, really ready to learn and it's their lifestyle. How can we do this better? So we started back with Melody. Then we joined the program as, as a member. And then, you know, like you said, I love learning every day. So every time she said something, it was, okay, I'm going to go research that. Because I want to make sure, first of all, that I'm telling the truth to my people. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just give them a sales pitch. And then eventually it got to the point where somebody would ask a question in one of the groups and I would be able to answer it faster than she could just because I had the time and she's running a major multinational corporation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I guess she noticed that and took me under her wing. And then I went through, you know, it used to be the expert program. Now it's the ambassador program where we bring in higher level teachers to aid and assist other instructors. And then just one thing led to another, and she offered me a position, wow. which after I quit my corporate job, I said I'd never work for anybody again. Uh, she's probably the only person in the world that I would work for. Mm -hmm. so, so what's your favorite part about being a coach? You know, when you teach kids, one of my favorite parts is that little secret smile they give, and I'm sure you've seen it. Mm -hmm. When a child tries something that they didn't think they can do, but then you encourage them and teach them and help them. And then they do it by themselves that first time. Maybe it's a front roll or, or something and they stand up and they just kind of smile and nod to themselves and, and you know, give that quiet little, yes. Working with businesses now and, and instructors, you know, I, I coach a little bit in the business venue. Mostly uh, I work on curriculum development and, and teaching modalities. It's the same thing with adults when they say, oh, you know, I just can't get the three-year-olds to listen to me. Okay, well, try this, 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 and this. Here's why it's happening. Here's what they actually need. And here's how you can fix it. And they come back to me the next week and say, wow, I tried that thing. And it was amazing. I actually enjoyed teaching. Mm. And that's huge to me because if you're not enjoying it, why are you doing it? Because really, you're probably just 
doing more harm than good in a learning environment if you're not enjoying it. Well, you'll hear me say that one day, and I've said this for so many years because I do enjoy everything I do. One day I'm going to get a job, I promise. One day I'm going to work. I don't think I work. I think I just have fun all day long, and somebody's going to catch me, and they're going to make me go to work, and I hope that never happens. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what I said up until the day that Melody offered me a position, and now it's, you know, I feel the same way, even though you know, there are moments that are harder than others, and, and there are you know certainly clients that are more challenging than others that maybe have some deeply ingrained belief systems or mindsets that we work to shift. So it can be challenging, but it's not the same as dragging myself in, sitting in traffic, sitting in a cubicle, answering the phone, making somebody else money. And really, you know, I made good money in my corporate career as, as a telecom engineer, but I never felt like I was making a difference. And I think that's huge now that every single day, whether I'm speaking to uh, an instructor or a business owner or a three-year-old, Every single day, I feel like I make a difference. Mm. And I think that's important to getting to the end of my life and being able to say, okay, I'm ready to go, you know, and being peaceful with the fact that I had some time here. Mike, you've done so much. You also are a therapist, a massage therapist, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, I've done a lot of careers in my day. <laughs> <laughs> but so you've done so much, but what else? can you see yourself doing? You know, uh, I'm in an interesting position now. Um, and, and it's an opportunity that's coming to me from my involvement with skills. But because of the way we've morphed, we're really looking at creating a new industry, something that exists here and there in little pools of, of entrepreneurship, but as an industry doesn't exist. This concept of the child development center where I'm functioning as a, a lay person next to a therapist or next to an educator or next to a counselor to really help the kids thrive. And what's cool about that is we don't really know what it looks like yet because we're just getting in now. Like, you know, when you play with um, like clay or Play-Doh, before you can build anything, you have to kind of mush it around a little bit and soften it up mm -hmm. and, and see how it sticks and, and you know, what colors I want to use and, oh, the purple one dried up and didn't work, so I had to throw it away. We're kind of right there now. So everything I've done from trying to be in the Marine Corps to trying to be a massage therapist to trying to be a business owner to trying to be a martial artist, all these different things in my life, um, you know, I, was, I was an exchange student back in high school. Mm. They're all culminating in, in this egg that's about to hatch, and I don't know what kind of egg it is. But I am so excited to see what comes out of it. Wow. You know, so I really can't answer the question yet. But at the same time, I'm very excited to answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> You're excited for the future. Absolutely. You know, it, it's funny because we need to always keep evolving. We need to keep changing. We need to move with the times. I mean, before we're talking about someone sitting on the bowl, reading a newspaper, and now they can actually in their hands, they can talk to someone. Before, If you wanted to talk to someone back in the day, you would have to bring the whole cord with you because there, there was no cell phones. <laughs> so you can actually have a cell phone. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure now that they're coming out better, people are going to start showering with their cell phones. Who knows what? 
but the future is so bright and beautiful and life is so amazing that we as individuals should not really stay in the status quo. We should always keep asking ourselves, what's next? Or how can I make my day better? How can I make other people's days better? Because we need to make our day better before we can help someone else. Absolutely, I agree. <laughs> All the things you've done and, and, and you're excited about the next adventure, should we call it? Because it is, it's an adventure as long as you look at it that way. You should be excited about tomorrow, not dreading. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's Monday. I love every day. So for me, for me, it's so exciting that it's, I cannot see any day as a bad day. You know, a lot of people, I can't wait for the weekend. Is it because you're at a job that you don't like? Stop doing that job. Find your passion. And, it, and it's about if you're going to help other people, if you're going to help yourself first, you need to find your passion. And finding your passion, I think, is the most critical part because life is short and you don't want to waste it on things that are making you unhappy. What would you say, if any, do you have any regrets on anything you've done? And you've done a lot. I guess maybe coming out of a Kung Fu background where my teacher was very philosophical. Uh, you know, you, you do an hour of class and then an hour of sitting at Sifu's feet listening to what he had to say. Um, you know, I look back and there are maybe moments that I regret the way that those moments happened, especially as they impacted other people around me. You know, I, I wasn't always such, uh, I'll use the word enlightened, but uh, please don't put any weight on that. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't always such an enlightened person. I had dark periods in my past. We all have. So while I regret how certain moments may have impacted others and probably still impact others, if we're honest, um, I, I don't regret the past that I had. You know, I, I had a lot of momentary disappointment. I expected to be in the Marine Corps for 20 years as a translator. I got hurt after six months. Oh. I didn't know what to do. So, you know, when they discharge you, you can either sit there and, and get into drugs and alcohol, which I did for, for several months, or you can shake yourself up and say, okay, what's next? So while I regret that, that summer of drugs and alcohol and probably the lifelong impact that it'll have on my body and my mind, I am very thankful that that hardship led me one day to my teacher, which then gave me my life back. Mm. You know, and as I look at it, you know, and, and what you just said about thriving every day and, and enjoying what you do, there's really one word that I try to live my life by now, and that's alignment. And when I have a, a core vision of who I want to be, not necessarily what I want to be or where I want to be, but who I want to be, and every decision comes into alignment with that, it allows me to bring opposites together so that I have a very fulfilled, happy life. So I can be a traditional martial artist, but teach cutting edge science in my classes. Very often those two are opposite. I can be a traditional martial artist, but be probably the most expensive school in my area and charge a lot of money for it. Whereas usually those two, two things are opposite because of the alignment of who I want to be. allows me to make those decisions with peace? And, and when you have peace, you don't always necessarily let the regrets affect you as poignantly as if they were still hounding you and harassing you every night. 
You know, we can acknowledge them for the lessons they gave us and then let them go, you know, because it doesn't serve us to live in that regretful moment every day. Absolutely. You know, very well said, by the way, and I totally agree with you. So when you talk about alignment, it's to me what I'm listening to is is basically you're aligning yourself with. And once you find your alignment, it's basically finding your purpose. I believe we're all here to serve a purpose. And the problem I think we have in, in, in the world is a lot of people don't always find their purpose. They're not asking themselves, why am I here? What is my purpose? How do I align myself with what I need to do? And a lot of people, especially, you know, you hear of people going to college and you know, they're, they're in it for two, three years. And I'm like, oh, what's your major? Um, I haven't picked one. So what, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and then I, I've even spoken to some lawyers who actually got their law degree, passed the bar exam, and no longer practice law. And I have, I have a few friends who've actually done that. And they realized that once they started in the field, it was not their calling. And unfortunately, you know, they spent a lot of time, but I don't think it was a waste of their time. It was probably a learning curve. So <laughs> it is, uh, it's, it's, uh, huh. it, I think it's a challenge. And we are not allowing the kids nowadays to really explore and really dig deep into what it is that they want to do with their lives, to give them purpose early on. A lot of times we just let them, oh, you want to be a fireman? Great. You're going to be the president of the United States? Great. But instead of saying, let's give you an idea, let's really put something forth, let's see where your talents are, and let's explore them. As parents, I think we have to do that. And as coaches, especially when we're teaching the young ones, I always ask the kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And if I keep hearing, I have, I have a couple of black belts, and I keep hearing and they're teens. Now, don't get me wrong. For me, a teen black belt is a teen black belt. They're not an adult black belt. They cannot defend themselves. They cannot, and a lot of people have a problem with that. Oh, absolutely. They cannot defend themselves like an adult would. So for me, it's based. Look, man, the black belt system was invented when my great grandmother was still alive. Mm. I have no problem with anybody making it whatever they want. A lot of people worship that piece of fabric, but it's something that's so new in the martial arts. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. But, you know, for me, it's not based on anything but knowledge. So if I can have a 14 or 15-year-old who understands the techniques, who understands the movements, can perform them, and maybe their bodies are not strong enough to be able to fight off a 25-year-old, but they understand the techniques, why should I say, hey, you're no good? <laughs> so yes, I do make them a junior black belt. I do not make anyone a black belt until they're at least 18. And so for me to hear this, this kid who started with me when they were six years old, and they're still saying it today, I want to be a marine biologist. And so now I believe they're going to be a marine biologist because they're always into it. They're studying it. They're doing it. And for some reason, their parents 
let them pursue that. And actually, they're fortunate that their their parents both um, one's a, a doctor and the other one is is a teacher. So they had that opportunity where somebody can help them explore what they were looking for. But a lot of parents drop off the kids, and then that's it. They're like, oh, it's me time. Drop them off. And they don't even come into the location, or whether it's gymnastics, soccer, or anything. They think it's time off. Uh, so I agree. And you know, I do have to say, I can empathize with the fact that there are some parents that drop their kids at our school and, and leave because it's them time, because that is the only them time they get. So, so I understand and empathize with that as well. Um, and you know, if they're on 99% of the other time and this is their hour a week to, to get the shopping done or sit in the car or go home and, and go to the bathroom in private, I get that. Oh, I get that too. Uh, but yeah, there <laughs> is a, <laughs> yeah, as a parent, I totally get that. Um, so, you know, there is a, a huge correlation between that, that parental guidance and the success of a child. Uh, there is no guidebook really for being a parent. Mm -hmm. You know, we all did our best. And, and I think that's really what counts is that we did our best and we always loved our kids. Uh, but we do see, especially in our training environment, the parents that are more engaged have the more successful child. Uh, and that's not to say anything against the kids that don't have their parents there that are struggling a little more. They're learning different lessons. They're learning about resiliency and, and getting stuff done for themselves. But when we really look at our developmental goals, the parents who take the time, and it doesn't have to be that the parent is a doctor or a teacher, just that they're taking the time and the effort and the attention to really help the kid. Um, and, and we believe in this so strongly that we have a whole parent training program that goes along with our on-the-mat program for the kids that helps the parents see why we do certain things, how it works to have healthy expectations of what their kids are capable of. Uh, you know, you mentioned that the parents say, oh, by the time they're teens, they get it and they can go on their own. And this is actually one of the reasons that teens sometimes struggle because they are tall and smart and hairy and we treat them like adults. But really, developmentally, their brains are mush. They're completely being rewired. Their prefrontal cortex is not allowing them to make good decisions. They're driven by hormones. This is when they need us the most. However, unless we built that connection when they were three, four, five, six, ten, twelve, 10, 12, it's too late to try to jump in. You know, that's like trying to make a, a cake, a chocolate cake after you bake the vanilla cake for an hour. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, we really encourage the parents to work alongside of us. And in fact, in our school, one of the things that we do is a student evaluation, uh, mostly it's so that we can learn about the student where they are developmentally, what their challenges are, what their strengths are. But it's also an opportunity for us to screen those parents. You know, we don't just accept anybody into our school. The, the child has to be developmentally ready for what we do. Uh, otherwise, I feel like I'm stealing their money. You know, if you're not getting any, anything out of it, I don't want to steal your money. Uh, second, to make sure that we are the ones appropriate to help. You know, if the child is far above and beyond us and, and wants competitive Taekwondo. Well, I'm not going to bring you into my school where I don't go to tournaments. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And also the third leg of that, the third leg is, are the parents on board? Because if I'm doing my best to help this child in a caring, empathetic, science-based way, but they're going home to something that is the exact opposite of that or worse, something that 
is nothing. Maybe they have no connection. Uh, that family as a unit might not be the best fit for my school. And it's not a judgment call. It's just I know what we offer, and I know how it works, and I know who's going to be successful with it. And I only have a certain amount of space. You know, we limit our classes very strictly to amounts of space. So I have to find the people that align with what we do. And even if the parent doesn't have those tools to really make it happen right now, well, I have a program for that. I do have a manual for how to be an even better parent, and we call it Parent Skills. And it's an ongoing program of teaching that parent how to make connections, how to be attuned to the needs of your child, how to have healthy expectations. Uh, you know, we go through all these skills and activities every month. And the parents that do it are the ones whose kids tend to do the best. And that's, again, not a judgment call. It's an encouragement to the parents that don't actively take that learning role to then do so. That's that's really incredible because a lot of people, parents and people maybe who don't even have kids, they don't see everything you just spoke about. They think it's just punching and kicking and flying in the air and rolling and they don't see the, the real benefits be behind what martial arts does bring or what does a coaching uh, program bring. You know, one of the things that when you're dealing with people, you have to have some sort of integrity. You have to have passion. I've turned people down and I said, you know, your child is not ready. And I had turned a person down, a family down. They brought the three-year-old. And at the time, I was taking two-year-olds. And I said, your son is not ready. I said, you know, I'd be happy to, you know, take a look at him at a later date. That later date came ten, uh, when he was 10. And I hadn't, you know, I thought, okay, they're gone. It's okay. They walked in and they said, okay, he's 10. He's ready. I was like, wow, that's really incredible. So they actually understood where I was coming from from and now he's one of my best black belts and he's 22 years old and he's just an amazing amazing young man and he's actually um trying to get into homeland security or the fbi or cia he's very focused very dedicated and he's a great martial artist but it was me turning them down and letting them know because i could have done like what so many other schools have done and say, oh, yep, you have money, we'll take them. And that would not have been good for this young man. So helping someone with integrity when you're working with them is, is definitely important. And, and, you know, from a business perspective, you know, putting on my business coach hat, you have to have alignment in, you know, there's that word again. I love it. Uh, you have to have alignment in what you're promising and what you're delivering. I have no problem with a business that accepts every single student and charges a whole bunch of money for it. And they jump in with no purpose in, in the training program. I have no problem with that. If that's what they're promising, you know, if it's just, Hey, it's like a soccer club and we all come in and we kick the ball around for an hour and we go home and it's a hundred dollars a month. And my kid comes in and kicks the ball around and never learns anything. Well, that's cool. Cause you only promised me that it was a soccer club. But if you promise me that your child is going to be more confident or, you know, one of my pet peeves is when we as an industry advertise martial arts will get your kid better grades in school. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now you have to deliver on that. 
and you have to not only deliver on it, but this is something so ephemeral that you have to show how you delivered on it. You can't just say next time Johnny gets a B plus, oh, that was me. You know, you have to be able to show step by step. Here's the promise I'm making. Your child will probably, uh, I don't like absolutes. Your child will probably get better grades. Here's how I'm going to do it. By working on their cognitive development, their speed of processing, their multiple simultaneous attention, all these different big sciencey words, and then showing them in the drills, and this is how we apply it, and here's the results you'll start to see. You know, I have to be able to deliver what I promised on, and if I don't, this is where, as a business, now it's, well, every month I'm losing 10 students. I can't ever break 100 students. You know, I can't pay my rent because... You know, I don't have enough students. And you start now falling into that trap of seeing students as units of monetary measurement, mm-hmm. which has a purpose as a business metric, but it's not who we want to be as instructors. Absolutely not. Mike, how does someone reach you if they want to get involved with the, the skills program or they just want to, maybe they're close by and they want to come to your school because, hey, with everything you're saying, I think I want to enroll in your school. <laughs> Uh, we are putting together an adult personal development program with a skills-based mentality. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, to get in touch with me, the easiest way is either in any of the skills groups on Facebook or uh, I have a website, talkwithmike.com, and my contact info is all on there. You can schedule a chat, and we can chat, and you can schedule coaching, or you know, there's, there's links out to my school and to skills and all that good stuff. And, of course, they can go to notkarate.com. Not karate.com because it's not karate, it's kung fu. Well, nowadays it's skill. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Mike, thank you so much for taking out. I know you're so busy and, and taking some time out to, to chat with me today. You've been so gracious with your information and, and your, your knowledge is just, I applaud you because what you're doing is, is really great work. And, and thank you for doing that. And I know that our world will be better because you're making a difference. And, you know, like I said, I applaud you for that. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Absolutely. And we have to do it again, you know, especially because I know now right. I mean, you have, you're going to have a new chapter. We don't know what it is yet. <laughs> that's it. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Same bat channel, same bat time. <laughs> right. With uh, Batman Mike. That's right. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate your time. Uh, I don't know if you want me in tights, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Well, sir. you know, there was the, the young Presley, and then there was the older Presley. He still wore, you know, his, his fancy outfit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who, know, who don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Elvis Presley, in case I'm dating myself. <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> thank you, buddy. You have a great day. I appreciate your time. All right. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Coaching Call Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call Podcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. 